Welcome to the Elmer EMC podcast. We want to support you on your journey with God. So here's this week's teaching. So Revelation 3, write this to the angel of the church in Sardis. These are the words of the one who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know what you have done. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen the things that remain, the things that are about to die, because I haven't found your works to be complete in the sight of my God. So remember how you received the message, how you heard it and kept it, and repent. So if you don't keep awake, I will come like a thief and you won't know. What time I'm coming to you. You do, however, have a few people in Sardis who haven't allowed their clothes to become dirty and polluted. They will be clothed in white and will walk with me as they deserve. Anyone who conquers will be clothed like this in white robes, and I won't blot their name out of the book of life. I will acknowledge their name in the presence of my Father and in the presence of his angels. Let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. Strong words from the Son of God. Let me ask you a question. How do you know if you're healthy? How do you know? Well, I mean, I look in the mirror, I look fine. I ask my wife if I look fine, and uh, she says, yeah, I guess. But seriously, how do, how do you know? Look. I want you to know this was me when I was younger. <laughs> and if you believe that, I've got some real estate to sell you. But, but uh, seriously, my, my nickname in high school was Billy Biceps, if you can believe it. Well, that was then. <laughs> that was then. How do you know if you're healthy? Are, are you healthy if you make healthy choices? I'm sure it helps. And perhaps I'll try it sometime. Maybe. Like just before I have my annual physical, in the weeks preceding, you know, it's the blood work that gets, uh, gets you into trouble, you know, because what's inside will eventually affect the diagnosis for good or for ill. You can look pretty good on the outside, like me, right, and maybe feel pretty good too. Twenty years ago, a good friend of ours who constantly made healthy choices, well, most of the time anyway. He exercised regularly and, and did all the right stuff. He discovered that he needed a quadruple bypass. And uh, it, it, was, it was a pretty rough uh, ordeal and uh, not an easy recovery. But 20 years later, he's still going strong. Now, now, through no fault of his own, I mean, it was family history and whatever else, his heart required a major fix. But it was the decision that he made following surgery in consultation with his cardiologist that accounts probably for, uh, at, at least in, in major part, for his ongoing health today. The doctor said to him that he could pretty much guarantee Many years of good health going forward, but he was also pretty sure that our friend, like so many others, 
would never commit to it. And our friend, true to form, said, try me. And then he made a big mistake. <laughs> a big mistake. Uh, becoming a vegetarian is a big mistake. But from, from his overall health and family history, the doctor said, become a vegetarian. And our friend made the decision to live. And he's hardly ever eaten any meat of any kind since. It's uh, fun to go out for a meal with them. And, uh, you know, what he orders and what I order are two very different things. But he made a choice. He made a decision. Not a life or death decision. He, he opted to not choose death. He chose life. You know, churches and, of course, individual Christians can appear very healthy and vibrant and yet be dying from the inside out. Such was the case in the church at Sardis, in terms of the letter that we read. This was a church that, in the estimation of Jesus, was as good as dead. All appearances to the contrary. He sets before them what I can only describe as, well, not life or death decisions they had to make, actually only life decisions, since their death was already imminent, a sure thing, if nothing changed in their situation and in their response to what Jesus says to them in this letter. So write this to the angel in the church of Sardis. These are the words of the one who, as John wrote in John 3, the Gospel of John 3, this is the one who has the Spirit without measure. Seven spirits. Seven is, an, is a symbolic number uh, communicating the idea of perfection or completeness, fullness. And Jesus is the one, John said, who has the Spirit without measure and who stands ready to give fullness of the Spirit to all who seek and ask. It's also the words of the one who holds his churches to account. The seven stars, recall from the uh, chapter 1 vision, are the angels or the messengers. And I, I believe uh, that the word angelos it doesn't always mean uh, an angel as in the kind that has wings and uh, uh, is, is constantly uh, crying out holy, holy before the presence of the Lord or being sent on missions from heaven uh, to assist those who are uh, the recipients of salvation. Sometimes it just has to do with the very human uh, messengers or leaders or pastors or whatever you want to call them uh, to the churches. And he holds his churches to account uh, through the, the leaders that have been appointed. And what's the first thing that he says to this church? Does he commend them as he so often does in these letters and then point out what's going wrong? No, not this time. Not this time. I know what you have done. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Ouch. I know what you've done, and, and you, literally you've made a name. You have the name 
in, in the original. You have the name. You've made a name for yourself. In the community that, that you live, or in the circle of uh, other, other Christian fellowships in the region, you have a name. You've made a name for yourself that you're, uh, you're in a live church. You've made a name for yourselves, but not with me. Not with me. All I see, Jesus says to them, are markers of death. You don't see it. Clearly, don't other, others don't either, but, but I do. And the decision that you must make is, who are you going to believe? Who are you going to believe? So, decisions for dying churches. Life decisions. Really? Will they accept the gravity of their terminal diagnosis? Despite appearances to the contrary, you have a name of being alive, but you are dead. Now, people talk from time to time of uh, such and such a church being dead. How, how would you characterize a dead church? And, and how does it stack up against what Jesus says a dead church is? Uh, a number of years ago, um, you know, you might be asking, what does this picture have to do with what I'm talking about? Uh, but a number of years ago, I uh, used the analogy of codfish drying in the sun, whenever it shines, in Newfoundland outports, in a seminar that I developed on uh, contemporary worship. I was asked the question, what does worship have to do with fish drying on flakes? That's what those, uh, those platforms are called, flakes, uh, not the kind you eat, trust me. But what does worship have to do with fish drying on flakes? In Newfoundland outports, in this picture, and the answer uh, is absolutely nothing, I hope. Since these fish are cut and dried and dead. Cut and dried and dead. Nice description. Now, some people write off churches as dead if they are not vibrant and contemporary in their worship. The truth is that vibrant worship and music such as brought to us by folks like Hillsong, for example, is is, is actually not to the point. Um, in fact, Hillsong, New York, was in the news recently over allegations of misconduct by the pastor, which I won't get into. And uh, our dear friend uh, from uh, Stratford, Justin Bieber, was uh, in that particular mix. Apparently was attending the church and no longer is, so the story goes. But, but uh, you know, a church that certainly had the vibrancy and no doubt, uh, you know, very um, vibrant preaching. And yet, is it alive? Is it alive? And, and by the way, to the point, uh, Jesus makes no mention of worship vibrancy or volume when he says that Sardis or any church is dead. You know, the sermon may be boring and uninspiring. The average age may be increasing. And hey, I represent that. What about membership and attendance? That, that may even be declining. But none of that. Things, markers that, that we might consider, benchmarks we might think of when we consider whether a church is alive or dead, none of that factors into Jesus' assessment. Well, what does? Uh, you know, that, that 
He says to them, though you have a name and a reputation of being alive, nevertheless you are dead, or shall I say as good as dead, since no one speaks to the dead expecting a response, do they? Well, uh, maybe no one except Jesus, who did speak to uh, the dead on, on a few occasions, and they came to life. So there's hope, even if this assessment is not just as good as dead, but actually dead. But, but here's the cause of death. Here's the cause. Strengthen the things that remain and things that are about to die. Here it is, because I haven't found your works to be complete in the sight of my God. It says nothing about music or attendance or, uh, you know, the charismatic nature of the, the, the one who teaches or speaks. None, none of that. He simply says your works are incomplete. Now, what does that mean? Does it mean they start things, but then they don't finish? Or is it something, is it that something vital, something indispensable is missing from whatever it is they are doing, which is causing them to come up short? We're, we're not told what these works are, these deeds. Don't you wish we were? And then we say, well, we don't do that, so we'll be okay. I think it's deliberately left ambiguous to make us think not of the work so much as what might be missing. So what's missing? Ever had this happen? You put together a puzzle. Now, I don't do this. I haven't got the patience. Beth does. She started to work on one recently on our dining room table, and she got so frustrated with the thing, it really did seem that there were missing pieces from the outside, the straight-edged ones. She couldn't get that to come together and I looked through the pieces, and we both went, huh, let's put it back in the box. But have you ever had that happen and, and felt the frustration? And you go, now what? Or, or, or this. You open up your bag. You know, uh, quite, a, quite a thing these days, these boxes that are delivered, whether it's HelloFresh or, or Chef's Plate or some other thing, and... and and you open up your bag and you find some rotten vegetables. It actually happened to us recently. Um, and when I reported it, I got to tell you, they made it right immediately. They made it right. And so good for HelloFresh. This is not a diss of HelloFresh, but, but sometimes this kind of thing happens. And that's the point, that, that once you know something is missing, or, or that there is something that is rotten or rotting. You make it right. But what if you don't? And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warned that there would be those who claim to do many good things, in his name even, but they would come up short. And just prior to these verses, Jesus talks about um, good trees bearing good fruit and bad trees bearing bad fruit and a bad tree can't bear good fruit. And, and then he says, following that, he says, not everyone who says to be master, master, or Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those 
people who do the will of my Father in heaven. And that has got to mean more than just in a technical sense, to do the will of my Father in heaven in terms of the things they're talking about. You would think they would be in the will of, of, of the Father, and yet something is lacking. Something is coming up short. On that day, lots of people will say to me, Master, Master, we prophesied in your name, didn't we? We, we cast out demons in your name. We, we performed lots of powerful deeds in your name, and I will have to say to them, I never knew you. You're a bunch of evildoers. Go away from me. I never knew you because you never really knew me. You never really knew me in the sense of becoming like me. Your deeds come up empty. They're lacking my spirit and my character back of them. I mean, had Jesus never known these folks in Sardis? Had they known him? You know, there's great hope since he's remonstrating with them. But something is very, very wrong and very lacking. And I, for one, and I wonder if it comes back to the lack that he saw in the church of Ephesus, which comes back to what 1 Corinthians 13 tells us about, um, you know, if I speak in, in, in uh, tongues but do not have love's love, then I've become a clanging gong or a clashing cymbal. If I have prophetic gifts and I know all mysteries, all knowledge too, and I have faith to move mountains, but have no love, I'm nothing. But hey, I'll give my possessions to the poor. That's got to count for something. In fact, I'll lay down my very life if necessary. This translator puts in for pride's sake. And I think it's fair to put that in. But do not have love. It's useless. Again, by our fruit we shall be known. And the fruit of the Spirit is first and foremost love. Agape. Love. Now whatever their deeds which got them a reputation on the outside, whatever the lack, it was fatal to the ongoing life of this community of erstwhile Christ followers wake up and strengthen the things about to die because I haven't found your works to be complete in the sight of my God. Now it's in this regard that Peter offers some uh, encouragement and insight and caution. Peter says, God has bestowed on us through his divine power everything we need for life and godliness. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue, the result is that he has given us through these things his precious and wonderful promises. And the purpose of all this is so that you may run away from the corruption of lust, something the Pergamum church and the Thyatira church were having a problem with, and maybe Sardis too, that is in the world and may become partakers of the divine nature. It's like Peter says, you've been delivered the box at your front door full of all these delicious meals, we hope. And, and what do you have to do with that box? It, it, the box is complete. A few rotten vegetables notwithstanding from time to time, which they took care of. So because of this, Peter says, you should strain every nerve to supplement your faith 
with virtue and with virtue knowledge and self-control and patience and piety and family affection and love. Supplement your faith. Add the wonderful fresh ingredients that are included in your salvation faith box. Not to do so results in failed and incomplete life of discipleship. And that's not to be set aside with a shrug of the shoulders as if to say, oh well, at least I'm saved. Peter goes on, if you have these things in plentiful supply, you see, you won't be wasting your time or failing to bear fruit. Someone who doesn't have these things, in fact, is so short-sighted as to be actually blind and has forgotten what it means to be cleansed from earlier sins. What did Jesus say about failing to bear good fruit, or in fact, bearing bad fruit? So, my dear family, you must make every effort, make the effort all the more to confirm that God has called and chosen you. If you do this, you will never trip up. And this is how you will have richly laid out before you an entrance into the kingdom of God's coming age the kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Messiah. So open up the faith box you've been given. Add, all the, add and put all the ingredients together, and in so doing, confirm your calling. Make it certain. Make it sure. It's not the deeds that we do, allegedly in His name, but the character that confirms and completes the deeds. And this is so important and indispensable to Jesus that he says that Sardis is as good as dead unless they wake up. Here's the divine wake-up call. Wake up, strengthen the things that remain, the things that are about to die. What were the things that remained and could be fortified? We, we don't know. The text doesn't tell us, but I'm sure they did. And perhaps this is, as I said, left ambiguous so that we can respond to the summons to pay attention to the motivations and the manner of our deeds, whoever and wherever we are. Because as the classic line from the Jurassic Park movie says, life will find a way. If, li if there's life, life will find a way. So the question is, is there life? And here's decision point number two. For dying churches, will they awaken to the possibility and the process of recovery before it's too late? We need to be wide awake to the realities and the possibilities. The summons to wake up is, is of particular rele relevance to the inhabitants of Sardis. The, the city should have been impregnable and impervious to successful attack because of its location and its setting, it was set upon a 1,500-foot plateau that was virtually unscalable. And, and, and yet, twice in its history, Sardis was overwhelmed by forces of first Cyrus the Persian and later, I think it was Antiochus, a Syrian who found a way to scale the heights undetected while the city slept. No kidding. And when they woke, it was too late. And Jesus' summons and his warning here is his invitation not to let this happen. Make a life decision. And make it now. Make it quickly. Make it quickly. And it will help if you call to mind 
the way it was when you first received, heard, and kept the message of the gospel of the kingdom, inaugurated in the death, resurrection, ascension, and reign of Jesus the Messiah, the one who will put all things right, the one who has already come with the clouds to receive the kingdom from the one on the throne, and who will one day come from the clouds to complete God's plan, that the kingdoms of this world will indeed become the kingdom of our God and of his Christ. And do I hear the hallelujah chorus? I would love our Christmas choir to try that one on sometime. Miriam, there you go. Tackle it. It's, it's not really that hard. Although your tenors have to hit an A. That's hard. Remember how you received the message, how you heard it and kept it, and repent. Remember. You see, recovery is possible, but the opportunity is time-sensitive. There is no time for delaying decision once the diagnosis has been acknowledged, but, but it can be ignored. And Jesus warns that just like uh, the Persian and Syrian invasion of the past, that the city was well aware of. It was history 101 in Sardis. But Jesus says, just like them, I too will come like a thief. And you will have no security that will sound the alarm when I do. In fact, I'm sounding the alarm now. You won't know what time I'm coming to you. And this language is not necessarily pointing to, it is imagery that's used of Jesus' actual second coming, but it's also used in a, in a more immediate and temporal manner to warn these folks. And now to encourage and motivate you, though. You do, however, have a few people, literally a few names. You have a name in the community, you've made a name for yourself, and it's, it, it falls far short. But you do have a few names. I know their names, and you know them too, who haven't allowed their clothes to become dirty and polluted. <laughs> you know, they, these people see through the filthiness of your deeds that lack the character and motivation and spirit of Christ. And interesting that hear the way this is stated. And I wonder if the words of Isaiah 64 are in mind, where uh, Isaiah 64 begins with this plea that God would rend the heavens and come down. But then Isaiah goes, yeah, but if that happens, if that happens, how will we fare? Because we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. Imagine that. Righteous deeds. Filthy cloth. How do you put that together? Externally righteous. Technically so. <laughs> kind of like when you read the Sermon on the Mountain. You've been heard it's been said, you shall not murder, but Jesus addresses anger. You shall not commit adultery, but Jesus addresses the matter of the heart. All our righteous deeds. We say, well, I haven't done that, and yeah, I've done that. I've ticked these boxes. And, 
what it amounts to is something gross, something meant to be discarded. We all fade like a leaf and our iniquities like the wind take us away, but you have a few whose righteous deeds, in fact, are clean and pure, undefiled by the pollution of pride or done without love, done perhaps to be seen of men, which is its own paltry reward. But these people are not like that. These people, you know them. They're the hope of Sardis. And the question is, and the life decision is, will you people emulate the example of the faithful minority? that Jesus honors here, and that Jesus is fixed to reward. You have these people who haven't let their clothes become dirty and polluted. They will be clothed in white and will walk with me as they deserve. Now much is going to be said in future passages about being dressed in white and walking with Jesus. And I'll, I'll just let this statement stand now without further comment. But just imagine it, though. Just imagine it. Clothed in white. Symbolic of the righteous deeds of the saints. So we are told. Now walk with me. It's like Jesus is saying, walk with me. In order to walk with me, you got to be like me. And I'll keep working at you and in you, and you will be like me. Just open up your faith box. Put together the ingredients. Don't leave anything out. And he goes on to say, anyone who conquers will be clothed like this in white robes. It's, it, 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 it's possible to wake up and to come alive and to imagine the day when the white linen is handed out in your size with your name on it. And, and speaking of your name, I won't, I won't blot their name out of the book of life. Your name won't be blotted out. Now we could get into a discussion, it would be a, a, a one-way discussion at this point, about whether or not such a thing is possible. Sometimes we read passages, you know, in view of theological beliefs, doctrinal beliefs we already have formed, which is then superimposed upon verses, verses like this, and then the verse is interpreted in light of our prior convictions about what is possible or what is not possible. And, and some maintain that it's a hypothetical possibility to have one's name blotted out, but not, not an actual thing God would ever do. Personally, I think we do well to let such passages speak as they are. And I would also caution against concluding that such warnings are merely hypothetical. It says, anyone who conquers, I will not blot out. And here's the deal. No one who remembers how they heard and received and kept the message and who repents and believes and who by grace conquers has anything to worry about. <laughs> I remember uh, uh, a Methodist gentleman 
who was a pastor and quite an excellent vocalist who would come to our Fellowship Baptist conventions several times, and he would sing. He'd be the special music, and man, could that guy sing. And he would joke with the eternal security crowd and say, well, one thing we Methodists and you Baptists can agree on, we can all agree on the insecurity of the unbeliever. And that is certainly true. What is it to believe? Is it just to pray a prayer and then move on? Check that box. Nothing doing. Or or else Jesus would be quite fine with these people. But he says, I want you to go back and remember the way it was when you first believed and when you heard the message and you responded and, and the way you kept the message. And folks, this doesn't mean that it all depends on us. It all depends on God in us. But we can disobey. We can go slack. Otherwise, there's an awful lot of the New Testament that wouldn't make a bit of sense. But anyone who believes and is keeping the word of of truth and growing in the character of Jesus, I haven't got anything to worry about. Here, in fact, you're looking at being with Jesus, walking with him in white. Who wouldn't want that? You know, Moses um, interceded with the people, for the people, with God after the affair of the golden calf. And he says, I'm going to go to the Lord. You've sinned a great sin. I'm going to go and talk to the Lord. Maybe I can make atonement. Well, maybe he couldn't. There's only one who can do that. But understand Moses' heart for the people. He returned to the Lord. Alas, these people have sinned a great sin. They've made for themselves gods of gold. But now, if you will only forgive their sin, but if not, blot me out of the book you've written. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now, that sounds a little more than hypothetical to me. But why should you be concerned about it? But if you are, you already know what to do. And if you do, conquer in the manner spoken of here. Jesus says, not only will I not blot out your name, but I will publicly acknowledge your name in the presence of my Father and in the presence of his angels. Jesus had previously said in Matthew, everyone therefore who acknowledges me before others, I will acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny before my Father in heaven, as in I never knew you. Second Timothy Uh, speaks of uh, remembering Jesus raised from the dead. This is my gospel uh, for which I suffer hardship and I'm chained, but the word of God isn't chained and therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they may also obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. This saying is true. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will reign with him. If we deny him. He will also deny us if we are faithless. He remains faithful to his word. 
he cannot deny himself. So let anyone who has an ear listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. And here's the question, do you merely look alive or are you truly and vibrantly alive in Christ inside out? Maybe there are some who don't even bother to look alive anymore. Life's been tough. You've been slapped down more than you'd like to remember. And, and maybe you're struggling to believe, struggling to live. You just want to do like Elijah in the cave. Just, just, just leave me alone, God. Let me die here. Well, there's one thing Jesus won't do, and that's let you alone, to wallow in your self a pity. He wants you to live. He calls you to live. He invites you. And this is decision time. So will you accept the gravity of a terminal diagnosis despite appearances to the contrary? And will you awaken to the possibility and process of recovery? Remember how you received the Word and kept the Word and believed the Word we're filled with love and vibrancy. Will you awaken to the possibility and the process in community before it's too late? And will you emulate the example of the faithful minority that Jesus honors and rewards? And the question really is, why would you not? Why would you not? As we think of all that Jesus has done, to make it possible that we who overcome in Him by the word of our testimony and by the blood of the Lamb should be dressed in white and walk with Him and all of the other things that are said in these letters regarding those who overcome. Thanks for listening. We invite you to follow Jesus with us and join us on mission with Him. We'd love for you to connect with us through our website, worship at aemc.com, or on Facebook. Just search for Aylmer EMC.